Hey there, and welcome to Null Pointers. We are your hosts, Stephen, Gerald, and Mark. And today we will be talking about automating stuff. What is stuff? I don't know. Let's find out. Before we get into the main topic of our podcast, let's just have a quick moment to talk about .NET MAUI Preview 5, which was released a few days ago, actually, while we we're recording this. Um, but it's it's the latest in a long line of previews that we're getting, so that's that's kind of awesome. And from what I've heard, it's the one that enables animations and transformations. And for me, as a guy who loves UI and fanciness, and I can finally move stuff around on screen in code. Yay. Yay. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely well. There's more than animations. I mean animations are cool. Is there too, is there but... anything more than animations that Joe can be serious? Well yeah, animations. Uh, I mean animations and gradients is life. That's true. Yeah. Um so, so yeah it's just out it's last week. And of course, you know, you know good old Gerald, he already did a video on it. So go check it out on his YouTube channel, <laughs> which just passed six K subscribers, isn't that awesome? Congratulations! Applause. Thank you, thank you. Uh, but okay, let's not make this about me. It, it smells already... like a shill in here. Yeah. Good that we got yeah. our Yeah. that we got our separate recording booths here. Yeah. Yeah. Please go on, Joe. <laughs> um, but anyway, so preview five. Yeah, so I think there's also the first bits of shell in there. Uh, maybe not just the first bits, maybe the whole thing. Um, which is really cool because that will just follow, I think, most of the existing, well, everything uh, will be in there with the existing syntax, the XAML syntax and the C-sharp syntax. But you can now already also start looking into shell and how that all works. Um, some more controls are implemented. The animations that we already talked about, there has been some work done on the single project thing. Um, so if you've checked out the previous preview, uh, preview four, uh, then you might have noticed that whenever you want to do the WinUI thing, there was a WinUI, a separate WinUI project and a WinUI package project or something like that. And you had actually had to run the package project, which felt kind of weird. Uh, but now we just have the WinUI project and in the future that will be going away too so that we have a true single project solution, which is going to be really cool. There's a lot of other stuff that is fixed as well. We will um, add the release notes to the show notes so you can check it out for yourself. But um, I, I take it that you have not really played around with it? I have not, I must admit. I, shame. Me neither. I've been too busy watching YouTube videos about people playing around with it. No, mm -hmm. to be, yeah, I, I just didn't have it at the time. I, Whenever I read these release notes, I think this might be the weekend my phone gets to play around with it and one weekend it will be the case and i i really like these animations how they embedded them into maui i think it's quite easy to use it's quite straightforward uh, which is always nice because sprinkling a little animations here and there over your app uh, in the right dose uh, can be really nice and makes your app a little bit more to enjoy and the other thing the single project templates i've been a big fan of those since ever they have been announced and seeing how they come together well it just makes me smile i can't i can't actually wait until these things come out of preview and will become the real thing so i can also then uh 
have my customers on board so I can then pl- work work on this in a professional setup. Mm, very very professional paid grown-up job yeah yes yeah, uh, yeah so and that's kind of the interesting thing so let's me because before this whole episode is going to be about the maui preview but i just got a question under the youtube video with like you know can you do a video next on how to convert a forms project to a maui project which is definitely something that i'm going to do and i'm going to do it soon probably but if you're looking at like wanting to convert your current existing apps i think the biggest bottleneck right now is going to be um, your third-party libraries that do something with specific Xamarin Form stuff. I mean, all the stuff that is not specific to Xamarin Form, but to C Sharp, that will all work. That's all fine. Um, so I'm probably mostly talking about views here because they are going to use the renderers. Um, and renderers are no more in Xamarin Forms. And there will be some kind of compatibility stuff going on, uh, but there has to be some work done in the third-party library. So actually, you know, you can go look into converting your thing right now, but you will probably, if you are heavily dependent on these these other libraries, these nuggets, then um, you're gonna have a bad time right now. Uh, but you know, it's it's an interesting challenge to see how far you can go. And of course, if you are a library maintainer that is listening right now, then um, this is definitely the time to reach out to the team. Well, maybe if you, only if you run into trouble because the team is very busy right now. Uh, but you want to start looking into converting your libraries into .NET MAUI compatible libraries and uh, make everyone's life easier. If if you're looking for an app, Gerald, that you want to do in your in your video that you want to convert, I have one. <laughs> he's he's furiously shaking his head. <laughs> but that brings me to the bane of my existence for the last few days, and it also ties into this automating stuff. So this is our famous segue, um, because what are what are we actually talking about here today? Automating stuff, because stuff. Well, while it's awesome. It's kind of a global term. So what we're talking here is we've talked about this in previous episodes as well. So things like continuous integration, DevOps, um, or maybe even automating your infrastructure. Um, and I've been kind of busy in the last few days trying to get some build pipelines to run, which right now is apparently kind of hard for the Xamarin world. Um, or maybe I'm just doing it wrong. That is also very much a option. But it, uh, it has taken me quite some time to get a, well, basic build running. But this there's also obviously quite a lot of moving parts to this whole thing. You have the iOS bits, you have the Mac where you're running it on, you have Xamarin, Mono, all these frameworks that need to work together and are being developed by different teams who also still need to work together, all of them. But that's that's just my problems let's not go too deep into that well it's we can turn this into a therapy session steve yes Um, (laughs) tell us about what what color what color comes to mind when you talk no so but let's so just to make clear what we're talking about here steven is why am i doing um, this yes tell me developing this awesome app for mvps because as microsoft most valuable professionals um, you might have heard of the program. You need to kind of prove that you know you're 
your your contributions are out there. So you have to enter all your contributions in a web portal. And Stephen is making this. That web portal has an API, and Stephen is using leveraging this API with his awesome app. It's iOS for now, but of course, you know, if it's gonna take off, I'm sure that he will also find someone to make the Android one. There is one. Um, there is an Android yeah. one. There is one. Yes. Oh, I really? Thought, I thought you were now oh, going I thought onto you were the doing... tangent, and as soon as he gets the Android bill going. But yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, oh, I thought you were doing the iOS one first. Okay, okay, my bad. Um, but, you know, and then, you know, it's like you say, like, you know, everything is working on my machine. The, the, the famous saying, it's working on my machine. And then you're going to do it in a CI because, you know, you were just one person working on this. So no need for any CI system. But now, you know, if you want to go to the stores, it might be worth it to automate things because it can help you a lot in doing that. Uh, but I think, you know, and now you're struggling because especially for iOS, stuff is hard. I mean, even doing it on your own PC, it's kind of hard with all the signing and certificates and blah, blah. Um, and then suddenly you have to move it to a Mac system because it has to be this physical system because Apple doesn't allow to you to do it on a virtualized one. Uh, basically, they don't allow Mac OS to be virtualized, period. Um, so there has to be physical ones in the cloud that has to have all your stuff, um, sign it, release it, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, what Xamarin is doing is also a very hard thing. They're trying to combine all the native tooling with the .NET tooling, uh, with the latest iOS bits on a Mac that lives in the cloud. So all in all, you know, it's, it's just a hard thing to pull off. And then all the versions have to line up, the stars have to do, you have to do a sacrifice to the demo god. Um, so, you know. Um, I don't know what the demo god has to do in this case, but you know. Um, so yeah, there's there's all these things, and I think you know, Stephen, what the the big mistake was in this whole process is that you should have let your CI grow together with you. Mm -hmm. um, so you had started early on, and now you would check it in every time, and you would notice whenever it would break. Uh, but in all seriousness, I think that, you know, like I said, in a scenario where you were a single developer just working on this little side project, it's not something that is top of mind to start with that. But I think that would very much help in these scenarios to, you know, start right away with that because then your project is small. You will figure out all the, the, the bits and bobs right there. And then as you grow, you have... Basically, you're dividing all these problems up into smaller chunks, <laughs> I think, that you solve over time instead of now having two days to spend um, doing this whole thing. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's what Stephen has been doing. At least that was the sound of my background channel that we are sharing uh, as the Nullpointers hosts. I think generally speaking, I mean, automating stuff is always fun when you think about it, because when it boils down to, if you release an app, uh, Gerald, you, you summed it up really nicely. There are so many moving parts and each step you could do a potential mistake and then it won't work. And then you will be Googling or Binging or DuckDuckGoing or whatever is your search engine uh, for the solution. And I hope that somebody else did the same mistake as you did documented it uh, to bring you back on the right track. And if you automate it in the idea, in the ideal world, uh, you would just configure it once. Perhaps there was somebody already out there that will just lend you the template and then you would be off to the races, no problems ever again, and everything would be happily ever after. And I mean, if we talk about automating, I mean, there are many ways how you can automate stuff locally. You can write a script. 
That could be Bash, PowerShell. You can even write scripts to these things in C Sharp, JavaScript, Ruby, Python, aka choose your poison. And yeah, I think the biggest problem when you automate stuff is the amount of time it takes to write the script versus doing it by hand. Because I'm pretty sure that there is an XKCD comic somewhere out there describing this paradox that you just think, I'll just write a small script. And then two weeks later, you automate it that 50 minutes tasks that you do like once every year. And yeah, you can do the math that might not pay out that quickly as you were hoping for. Then again, um, doing automating repetitive tasks does not only save you time, it will also improve it because less errors, unless you make an error in the script. Did you ever manage to put an error in the script uh, that came to bite you some oh, time later? I could the last two days alone would have would have <laughs> Ugh. yeah well there's a lot of ways scripts can go wrong right I mean they're very sensitive to to input and I had a script which probably almost everyone who has a Xamarin pipeline has in there somewhere which selects a different mono version or a different Xcode version or stuff like that and you're replacing parameters in there and all that good stuff and i mistyped something somewhere some underscore was missing <laughs> things were failing it happens and i actually once in a android build script um at some point it does a, a jar sign i think the step is called which is signing the 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 bundle that you're creating there with a with a certificate or a key or something it doesn't really matter but um that takes a password as input and the password that my predecessor chose had a space in it and that was <laughs> kind of ruining things <laughs> in the script so I think, uh, I think i remember that one <laughs> that's uh oh I, what is, I might what is have done something oh. like that on my own no no yeah. i'm not your predecessor i'm i i'm not that lucky to be uh working so oh. close with your projects but but I mm. remember using a password generator once and there were like some special character symbols in my key store, key pass, key something yeah. for Android the thing. password and you the thingy that you use to sign the other thingy. And yeah, that just blew up the build. And you and you try to understand because it gives you some weird error that your parameters are wrong and you're like, but they're all there. The parameter that you're requesting yep. for, it's there. Yeah, so th those are very yeah. fun, yeah. And especially because you, you debugging a, a built script, uh, especially if you configure a, a Azure DevOps pipeline or GitHub Actions, you cannot run them locally. So the only way that you'll get your feedback is by triggering a new build. And that can take quite some time. So, yeah, it's yeah. It, just, it, it just takes some time. I think whenever you try to do some automation stuff, especially in the DevOps space, it just takes probably longer than you would hope for. Uh, so whenever I have to do some change to DevOps, I, I rarely give an estimate below half a day because even if it's a itsy bitsy, teeny weeny, tiny task, and suddenly you notice that everything has blown up by you changing one or two lines and then you are going through the interwebs to find out how to do those one or two lines correctly, which usually takes more time than you would have hoped for initially. 
But that's kind of the problem, right? Because it's it's you're taking it from it works on my machine to another machine, which is good because if it can run there, it can run anywhere, hopefully. Um, so, but that machine is somewhere that you're probably you can't touch it. So also the software that's on it, it's hard to, you can't just say, hey, update all the bits or give me this exact version. Um, so you go, in this case, you know, it's Azure DevOps, so you have to go to a list of the agents that are available, the images that they have, the software that they have on it. Um, and the other thing is whenever you run a build, you get overloaded with all kinds of log messages, right? So you have to go find out like which line actually gives me the right information. They try to give you the right point in the in the log which actually failing but you know we all know a lot of the times the ms build will just say something something exited with exit code one okay thank you thanks thank you i guess, I guess. yeah yeah so and then you have to figure out so it's it's mostly you know combing through logs like what's going on um then trying to figure out what is going wrong what the solution is and how to actually fix it on a machine that is not yours uh, so i think that is what makes the whole pipeline um, DevOps thing kind of kind of hard. Um, yeah. Def definitely having it running remotely does not make it any easier. And I've seen quite a few people that do try to have the actual build steps in a framework that you can also execute locally. So there are frameworks like Cake, Nuke, uh, Fake come to mind, which are .NET based uh, build scripts that you can define and what they aim for is you have the builds locally, so you can run your builds locally. You can also uh, have a, a friend check them out uh, and and run them on their machine. And when you then when the time then comes that you say, okay, I am now a serious professional developer. I will use a C continuous integration, continuous deployment system to run those things. I would then just invoke that same uh, script that I've already defined locally. And hopefully everything will run. Uh, just one thing I think, which is also quite fun, is when you have it running on another machine, uh, those those uh, build agents, you have the choice of either setting up your own. So that means you will have to have a closet full of Macs. Is that the right reference there, Stephen? Or, Sounds good. Or renting or renting one in in the cloud. I actually dug uh, an entire container into my backyard full of Macs just mm. for all my buildings. <laughs> if only. Yeah. No, if only. It, uh, yeah, that's that's definitely right. And on top of all that, um, obviously debugging this stuff is hard and even choosing the flavor that you want to use is hard because you have the GitHub Actions, you have the Azure DevOps. I think they both run on actually the same machines um, in the end, like the same images or the same, um, yeah, the, the thing behind the scenes is probably the same, but they're they're driven by a different actor on the other side. So on one end, GitHub Actions feels like the way to go because it's, it's being pushed more and more. And while it can do a lot, I, I still feel like it can't do everything that Azure DevOps does. Um, and that might just be me, um, but I, I still prefer doing things in Azure DevOps. But the thing is you you make something in there and you used to do it through a visual editor. And I think we've mentioned it before. YAML is now here to save can everyone's I, can I just day. Ask, can I just ask one question here? Why? 
why why YAML? I mean, why, why, why did YAML win? What what is so great about this white space defined configuration thing that whenever you make a typo or anything, you have to submit it to the build server so that they will then start complaining that you did something wrong. Why? Please. Well, I think the me. main the main why is that it then also automatically falls under source control and can be reused into other pipelines and all that stuff. You can like, I've done it before, like where you have five different YAML files that do a specific set of steps and you can combine them together into all kinds of pipelines. And It's, it's much more easier. Before we did it in XAML and then comes yeah. Y, YAML. Ah, okay, yeah. Yeah, so it's the generation thing, Gen X, yeah. Gen Y. Yeah. So the, next, next one is Zaml. Yeah. So, yeah. so you want to say it's it's, it's all the millennials' fault? That's yeah. Uh, great, <laughs> especially since that makes me part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite. That's my favorite part. Uh, I don't know YAML. I don't know. I'm not a big YAML fan. And the most interesting thing is that the visual editor can still output YAML. So I don't know why we are forced to type actual YAML. Uh, when we can still use the visual editor, but anyway, yeah, yeah, that uh, someone will know, and if you do, let us know because we don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> reach out and open your own. Okay, but we're talking a lot of things about you know the pipelines and the stuff, which is of course a big part of our life. But I think you know developers have kind of in their nature that they want to. Uh, automate everything and you already mentioned it Mark like up to the point where creating the actual automation takes up more time than doing the actual task maybe uh, so is there other stuff in your life we've already made an episode about like a little bit of home automation you weren't big on that well Stephen isn't Mark a little bit more uh, but do you have like your computer set up something you can also do like your I actually um, coincidentally today ran Winget, um, and you also have Chocolati and that kind of stuff, which kind of like packages up all the apps that you have installed in your computer, and it will automatically pull them down and update them. Is there any other stuff on your machine that you automated or big tasks that you remember from the past that you automated or stuff? I think it always depends a bit. I always have like these phases where I write a bit more of automation stuff going on. I remember once in a project, it was quite hideous because you had to first kick off the build process, then you had to copy over the file onto some server, then execute a couple of demand commands when it was there so that you could then test the system. And that was, yeah, quite a boring task because it always took quite a few minutes to run. So I automated those steps and then also uh, made the script send me a little email notification that the stuff is now ready to be tested so i could then uh slack off do stuff and then get notified that was great fun to have that little script running there so those little helpers can be really great and since you, you mentioned it before the the wingets the chocolates the homebrews uh those are basically all package managers that you can have for your uh operating system for installing tools and i have seen people they have written their scripts so they have written some configuration files for those uh, specific uh, package managers so that whenever you freshly set up a machine you can just run the script it will grab all the software that you need it will install it and you will be ready to go so that's like i don't know a couple of hours saved 
just to set up the machine, which is always nice to save some time. And one thing that I've really come to like in the past couple of months is that you can actually now write scripts with .NET. So to be fair, you could write scripts using .NET since quite some time when you use PowerShell, but now you can do it with C Sharp or F Sharp. And I prefer those statically typed languages over the dynamic languages that PowerShell gives me because I just, I'm so bad without statically typed helpers. It just seems I, I always manage to let the script blow up in my face in no time. How about you, Stephen? I would, I've, since you've been talking, I've been looking around and thinking, what do I actually have automated? For, for an IT person, I think it's, it's underwhelming, to say the least. Um, I have a LED strip right here that is running the length of the, what is it, the, the thing below the windows where you put stuff on. I don't know, windowsill, is that the, the word for it? I don't know. Bingo. I think it is. So yeah, there's there's LEDs there, and I can control them from my phone. Whoa! But no, there's... you can control your AC from your phone. I can control my AC from my phone, but that's all just stuff that I haven't written. That's just that comes with the product. So it, I, I don't want to call it automation. Like the the thing that would be cool is if I would be able to go into my, I I don't know, terminal and then just do a a quick two-letter alias command and my lights go on and things happen and that that should be possible yeah i would say but but i mean the, i absolutely. think but i mean if you if if you start looking at those things you can do like all kinds of stuff i mean so you could the, the next step would be you somehow have a bluetooth beacon in your office and whenever you walk into your office with your phone the app will be activated and then it will send off a command to the server steven's now here and then it will check if how warm it is in the room and it will start the ac and the light strips will go on and the disco ball will start spinning you know just the must-haves having them automated you're you're forgetting the backstreet boys playlist starts playing but Mm -hmm. i uh, comes out of your desk i'm so sorry that's i i don't mention the obvious ones but um what you can also do or what i've been seeing people doing more and more is uh since we're all ios users you got this uh shortcut thing on your phone so you can define some automation stuff on your phone so whenever so you got like a tile somewhere uh, on your home screen or whatever and you can just go in and say i'm now in work mode and it will kick off a few commands or it will invoke a server that will then do all those uh checks for you so there's there's quite some stuff you can do so i personally i've got two shortcuts <laughs> configured on my phone and i know wow. i could do a lot more but one is blowing Whenever I get in the car, I really like to listen to podcasts when I'm driving alone. So I got a button which will just start playing that playlist. I, I could also do one for Backstreet Boys, I guess, at some point. Um, <laughs> three. We now have three shortcuts. Three shortcuts. <laughs> and the other one is just, there's. Uh, I put that together. So whenever I get in the car, I can send a text to my wife when I'll be home. And the text will then take into, so it will then take into uh, consideration when calculating the time, how much traffic there is on the fastest route to get there. So yeah, those are like my... You can just you can just use Find My, Find My Thing on iOS and share your location all the time. Yeah. So you always know where you are. Yes, uh, but... So that's the back, back to two, back to two shortcuts. Back to two. <laughs> back to two. Yeah, but there's no estimation on 
find my whatever. Ah, that's true. That yeah. is true. Uh, so yeah, that it's it's definitely I. So this reminds me of like the one automation that I'm trying to set up in my home with Home Assistant, uh, the thing that we've talked about before. And I have this sunscreen which I made smart by myself. Uh, so it just has mm. this button to it has a turn button, and you do it to the left, and then the sunscreen goes up, and you do it to the right, and then it goes down. I mean. That's the thing. So I did a little thing with wires and whatnot. Maybe if someone can put this in the show notes right now, I will make a picture of it because it's hideous and I'll host it somewhere, but you can see it. Um, but now it has a little Z-Wave receiver on there um, and I can um, do it from Home Assistant or you know some other stuff. Um, so that is really cool. And I have this automation set up in Home Assistant where it will look for, um, is it looks one day ahead. And then I think in some intervals also like um, at the time being, because it checks like, is the temperature above 24 degrees or something Celsius? Um, is the wind below five before? I, uh, because, you know, you, you don't want to have the wind tearing that thing apart. And of course, is there no rain because you don't want the thing to get wet? Um, so these three things it's checking. And if it's not, then it goes down. And if one of these things becomes true or whatever, then it goes back up. But I can't get it to work. It's so frustrating. It's, it's been literally a year, I think, uh, or more. And I can't get it to work because, and I don't know why. Um, it re, kind of reads all the values, but it doesn't do beep. So it's very annoying. Um, but anyway, so the, that's... Did you do the wires correctly? Are you sure? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe I should just hire you, Mark, and uh, write me a shortcut on my phone. Uh, and that's the other thing, right? Like, I think we mentioned that in our in our little home automation episode thing, that the best home automation is where you can have like the way of enabling and disabling it uh, the old fashioned way for other family members that are maybe not so tech savvy or just don't like to get their phone out for every little thing that you want to control. Um, but the thing is that the little switch that I have is you know left for up, right for down. I just described it. Maybe you forgot about it, but that's the way it worked. But it stays in like the left or the right position. So you can set it to one position, then you can walk away and the screen will go up and down, like, you know, so you don't have to hold it all the time. But if you keep it in the left or right position, then my Z-Wave controller thingy won't work. So what my wife does is she set it to left, she goes away, she forgets about it, she doesn't turn it back, and then I want to control it, and then it doesn't work, so I still have to go down. <laughs> uh, Anyway, um, I hope she doesn't hmm. listen to this podcast. <laughs> but um, I still love you. Um, but so yeah, that's that's the one automation. And the, the, actually, the shortcuts I've been looking into the iPhone one, but I can't really come up with something that is very uh, useful to me. But it is very powerful. Actually, it was surprisingly powerful to me for you know considering the whole iPhone ecosystem and how close it is. I think you can actually run like terminal commands and whatnot and mm. um, a lot of powerful stuff actually from there. So that is really cool. Yeah, I think um, you can go totally crazy with that thing. I've seen people doing like half postman post requests and then get yeah, requests there exactly. and then parse JSON thing and you just go like, how do you do that all in your iPhone? I mean, you know, like I don't know. I mean, I got the iPhone 12 mini. I know. It's, it's a small screen to start with. I mean, some they got the ginormous maxi superdome thing that you can probably use as a flat screen tv if need be and i just i just don't see myself doing so much automation scripting on my phone i think i would 
try to hand it off to somewhere where I then invoke some web server uh, locally to to do all the stuff. But generally speaking, I think automating stuff can be can be really fun, um, especially uh, when it's when it serves you over and over again. So if it if it ever starts to become a time saver, and I mean, uh, Stephen, I'm sure you have got some experience with this since you have got a container buried in your backyard, and I'm sure that was no sarcasm to controlling entire systems. I mean, there's also scripts going on there, uh, the Terraforms, the Ansibles, etc., 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 which you can then use uh, to configure your server environments. And I remember it's it's a time back, quickly touching on those things, and they can be very useful if you have to run multiple machines slash servers and you all want to have them configured the same way because if you do that by hand you then end up with a word document or html document where people go through clicking through menus which is a not very efficient b quite boring and c because it's boring maybe they will forget one or two steps and with these things you can then automate entire server environments and we've used that one for automating the setup of our build agents just to come back to the original problem there and yeah that was actually not that great of a time saver because we always ended up tinkering around with those build scripts or automation scripts to have them synchronized and yeah that was not having such a great time yeah i think with with any piece of automation um be it servers be it software pipelines or whatever the conditions around your pipeline change and then, well, you need to adapt basically. Um, new versions of other pieces that you're using are coming out and you just need to, well, constantly keep updating all that stuff that is already taking quite some time, typically. Um, or you must opt to never upgrade, which I guess within a few years time kind of puts you for different problems. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a never-ending loop, basically. You make your pipeline work, and then a few months later, you try again. So what we have been talking about a lot here is like the the, the time saving aspect of this. Uh, but I think you know there are probably more reasons for actually why we're automating all this stuff be, besides the fact that it's just fun to do, and uh, especially like it's in the IoT space where you write a little thing or you you do a little action and then some something next to you lights up or starts moving or whatever but i think you know the why is maybe not just always a time saver like you said mark like you have to do also a lot of work to uh, or that you and steven actually were just talking about like you have to do a lot of stuff to uh, make it work all the time you have to update it it's kind of a living thing uh, but i think the other very important why why you're doing this is to have um, reproducible results, right? Because people by nature are very bad at doing repetitive work because at some point uh, we get distracted and we think like, oh, what am I doing? What am I having for dinner? Um, I have to text my wife how late I'll be home. Um, so, you know, you have to do all these things and suddenly, whoops, you made a mistake, right? That happens. And then you deleted the database in production and um, then you get fired and then you go live under a bridge and well, your life is suddenly down the drain. So, you know, that can just happen by just being distracted for one second. Um, 
So a big thing of why is also to have these reproducible results that you can do it on ideally your local machine, then you move it to uh, a next environment and all the steps, you know, it's, it's a machine, it's written down in a script. So all the steps will be executed in that same order, in that same way um, on all the environments, all the machines, all the things. So that's another big thing why we want to do it, I guess. Reducing errors is a great reason why you want to automate certain processes. I think another one can also be having a template, how to set something up in the company that I work for. We automated the YAML templates for building our backends and our mobile apps, which is a true time saver also. Um, And it also takes away a lot of hassle, like how do you have to set up the build steps? And then you copy and paste it over from another project. And then there are some hard-coded parameters in there, uh, which are maybe not so obvious. And you can can have all these templates or scripts then laid out and try to make them reusable. And by that, uh, you also have the guarantee that it will work. And these repetitive tasks, they become easier to work with. And the famous sentence with, well, it works on my machine. The biggest problem there, I think often is we are not shipping your machine, unfortunately. So I think we will always have to find ways how we can distribute our software without having to distribute our development environment with it. Nonetheless, I mean, I really like scripting. I I will admit it, it's fun. Uh, you can do stuff in the IT space. You can light up an LED or light up a fire. Uh, however you have wired your thing, what, something will happen. And what I think or what I really hope what we will perhaps see in the future is, uh, you said it before, uh, Stephen, there is a UI wizard that will help you build the YAML actually in in Azure DevOps. And I think why why not mix the two things? You know, why not have a, a UI which will allow you to configure things because UIs they they can be a lot more user friendly than a, a text editor or a console line. And then having the automation come out of the other side. Uh, I think that would be something I would really enjoy if that would be uh, more easily accessible for various tasks to automate yeah definitely um i i like i said i don't have a lot of home automation going um so i yet. i can't yet yet someone is probably coming over to fix that sometime for me gerald <laughs> um but no it's uh, i i don't know how easy those systems are to use for say the wife who isn't isn't very tech savvy um or to set up well set up is probably a no-go for her but like if if that is the future this automation stuff then obviously all of that also needs to be simplified so people like my wife could just plug something in and have it set up i don't know the shutters or whatever printer Um, printer yeah that's also notoriously bad. But that's kind of the thing, right? Like it, it has to be automation. So it has to like, I think Mark mentioned before, like uh, also I wanted to, we just had an AC installed, which I can control from my phone. Uh, but we wanted to know like, does it all also does something for other rooms as well? So I got little temperature thingies and I put them in the rooms and now I can read the temperature in my home assistant app as well. 
Uh, but you know, and and with the the same with my sunscreen thing, right? Um, it it basically has to be automation. So you have to have these sensors in place that will have readings, and based on that, you will create a script which will automate the thing. So you don't have to think about it anymore. Uh, but the the big problem with that is that again, like with your build pipeline, um, all your variables still have to work. All the um, sensors that you have in there will have to have batteries. Um, and you know all all the things need to be set up right for it to actually work. And I think that is the thing. Um, if we at least look at the home automation stuff, for me, is that it's it's a real cool concept and it's really powerful, but it's still not you know it's still not great for non technical people. That's the first. Um, and the other thing is like you know I don't feel it's stable enough to run your home all the time. Uh, but maybe that's just because I can't configure it the right way. Maybe that's it. But um, anyway, yeah, I think that's the bit, like the, the same thing why a lot of people or uh, vendors uh, start are calling things smart, right? Which is basically, hey, we expose a little web server and here you have an app and now you can turn it off and on, um, which is which is not smart, right? I mean, the smart thing is that it can actually do things, sense things, and, and whatever it, it needs to start doing things. That's real automation and smart um, for me. And with that, we'll wrap up this episode on automating stuff. And as you've heard, we've talked about a lot of stuff, definitely. We've been your hosts, Steven Tewissen. Gerard Verslaus. And Mark Halliburton. If you have some favorite piece of automation in your house, in your build pipelines, in your servers, wherever things can be automated just let us know on twitter at nullpointers.io thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app stay safe and until next week on nullpointers mm-hmm.